Welcome to Engage Arizona. I'm Kathy Herod. In 2022, Arizona became the first state in the nation to give parents universal empowerment scholarship accounts. Parents now have real opportunities to choose for their children the education environment that aligns with their values and provides the best education. But it's not over. Those opposed to educational freedom and choice have escalated their efforts to undermine the program with many false claims. To help us work through some of the myths is an expert on ESAs, Matt Beinberg, Director of Education Policy at Goldwater Institute. At CAP, we've worked closely with our colleagues at Goldwater to further educational opportunities for Arizona children. Matt was a senior analyst at the Arizona Joint Legislative Budget Committee before going to Goldwater. There, he worked on fiscal assessments of proposed education policy. He attended Claremont McKenna College and Princeton University. He's the one, he's really the one to talk to about how ESAs really affect the state budget and dispel some of the myths being repeated. So thanks, Matt, for joining us on Engage Arizona. Thanks for having me on. Well, first, let's, let's do the basics. What are we talking about? What is an ESA? Sure. An ESA uh, in Arizona's empowerment scholarship account, sort of broadly speaking, it's an education savings account. And essentially, it just means that we're going to take a piece of what taxpayers would typically have spent sending a student to a public school and give that directly to a family to use for that student in whatever educational environment is going to be best for them. So if that's a private school, if that's at-home learning, if that's for curriculum, textbooks, essentially whatever best use of those funds can help advance the student's education, that's what we're going to put that toward. So how does a parent what a parent how does a parent get an ESA for their child? They go to the Arizona Department of Education website, what and then they sign an agreement. What's what um does a parent need to know about signing that agreement or, or getting an ESA? So any student, and you kind of referenced this, uh, you know, when the program first started, there were only certain students who were eligible in Arizona. Thanks to the expansion that Governor Ducey signed that uh, Representative Toma and, and the lawmakers last year uh, spearheaded. Any student in K-12 in Arizona who's eligible to attend a public school, if their family would prefer to instead opt into the ESA program, as you said, can go on the Arizona Department of Education's website, submit an application, and get on the program. So any kid, regardless of their background, uh, whatever environment that they're in currently, is able to get on the program. So when they do join the program, that is instead of enrolling in a traditional district school or a charter school, uh, it is technically separate as well from signing an affidavit to be a homeschool student. You can still get on the ESA program and provide at-home learning for your students. But those are essentially all the different kind of categories. And so a family who's interested in doing the ESA program goes, signs up, gets a contract with the department, and then each quarter they'll have funds deposited uh, to, to fund that student's education for the year. So those opposed to ESAs are making a number of false claims about the program. Let's go over some of those. First, the opponents, the opponents will say there's no accountability in the program. Well, doesn't the parent agreement hold parents accountable for how the ESA funds are spent? Well, so, and this gets to kind of the crux of the issue. There's, there's really a fundamental disconnect and a difference of worldview that folks who support the ESA program recognize that parents are the ultimate form of accountability, right? When we are concerned about our kids, we are going to care more about their well-being and their academic abilities than, than any bureaucrat or anybody else that's out there. Folks who are opposed to the ESA program seem to think, no, we don't trust parents. They're going to make bad decisions. We shouldn't let, give them the opportunities. We know what's best for them. We should prescribe what's best for them, and they should essentially march to, to our tune. Uh, at the same time, we see those same groups who then oppose any kind of measures in, in the public school system and say, oh, this isn't this isn't fair as well over here. So they, they kind of want to have it both ways. And, and again, what we can dive into this, I don't think it's a valid criticism because it's not about uh, accountability. Again, they're usually trying to water down 
accountability in the public school system, they basically don't want the program to exist. And so they use the, the accountability argument to say that this is something bad. But we've seen nationally that school choice programs, the Urban Institute, which is a large left-leaning think tank, has done studies, uh, for instance, on the Florida Tax Credit Scholarship Program, which was historically the largest private uh, school choice program in the country and found it had positive benefits on students' long-term you know, college-going graduation rates, et cetera. And so if they want to talk about accountability, you know, if they actually look at the data, what we see are positive metrics and positive outcomes from programs like this on a number of issues, you know, academic uh, and, and even outside of, uh, you know, kind of traditional uh, metrics in, in education. Often it seems to come across like that those who oppose school choice, education, freedom, that they don't trust parents to know what to do about how to educate their children, that they think um, that they think they know better than the parent of the child. Yeah, that's right. Again, I think that that's, uh, that's that boils it down. They, they think they know better than the parents. And we've heard politicians who've, who've said as, as much recently. Now, one of the most, in my view, ridiculous arguments that we're hearing is that the ESA program, Universal School Choice, is going to bankrupt the state. Uh, now, you're a budget expert, so explain to the listeners how that's just not true. Well, I would say it's one of the most ridiculous comments that's that's been made. The, the idea that the ESA program is bankrupting the state uh, flies in the face of all of the evidence. And so, you know, we've put out uh, a lot of information on this and done the analyses. When you look at the the size of the ESA program compared to the public school system, you look at how much funding goes to the ESA program versus the, the public schools, the numbers just absolutely make clear that that narrative coming from the left is, is absolutely false. So, you know, first of all, an ESA award for a typical student is about $7,000. The average funding for a public school student is now north of $13,000. And if you look just at districts going forward, it's almost two to one. So the state spends almost twice as much per public school student at a school district on average as it does on a student in an ESA, right? So again, we're just talking, you can fund literally two students on the ESA program for every one student in a public school. And then you look at the overall budget impact. And what we see is uh, currently, public schools in Arizona get north of $15 billion each year. Uh, the ESA program, the universal expansion, if you take all the students who have joined under the universal ESA program, it's about $300 million of, of new students who came under that. So we're talking about 2 to 3% of the total spending on K-12 education is the ESA program. So if you're going to tell me that something that's about 2 to 3% of the total is bankrupting the state, but the other 97 98%, we can never spend enough, we need to keep spending more, Again, it's just completely illogical and makes no sense because it's it's not about the numbers. It's about a narrative from their side. So even someone who is not an expert in math like me, you can easily understand 13000 for a student in the public schools compared to 7000 for that ESA voucher. That's a difference of $6,000, at least, if not more than that. And so clearly, school choice, as we've said through the years, it saves the state money. That's right. And, and so it's, it's very clearly, it's, it's less money per student. Uh, and so, uh, again, they, they essentially want to say, they, they look at this and they try and say, well, we're spending uh, all this money on ESAs. And they talk about it as a cost, right? And say how terrible this is. These hundreds of millions of dollars of funding that we're providing students, this is this huge cost we couldn't, we couldn't possibly consider. But then you never hear them talk about costs when it comes to the public school system, right? It's always an investment. It's about funding for students because they're, they're trying to, again, kind of do a bait and switch here of say, we're funding our public school students, but look how costly these ESA students are when really the ESA program is funding students and it's doing it more efficiently than the public school system. Well, and so let's talk about public school funding because the other thing that they tend to not share very much is, uh, you know, they say that they're not getting enough funding for public district schools, but Actually, the state has given significant dollars to public schools uh, both last year and in the current 
budget that's being discussed and voted on, correct? That's right. In the same the same year that they uh, greenlit the authorization for the universal ESA program, the legislature added almost a billion dollars to to public K twelve schools. Uh, most of that was ongoing permanent funding. And so, in the same year, the the legislature again, Governor Ducey, Representative Toma, and the, the uh, conservative lawmakers who who passed that, both the budget and the ESA program, managed to put resources into public schools to increase funding at the same time that they authorized every kid in the state to do an ESA. So they basically showed both of these these uh, you can do both. And we actually put out a, a report recently at Goldwater showing that, you know, in this first year that the ESA program has been surging under the universal expansion, the budget surplus, they, the lawmakers ended up with two and a half billion dollars, essentially, of, of extra funding to spend this year. And that was hundreds of millions, over a billion dollars above the original projections. So not only did the state end up with, you know, all these extra kids in the ESA program, they also ended up with over a billion dollars of unanticipated revenue at the same time, right? The state has had no problem paying for the program. Uh, they have managed to, again, have a budget that, that's in process now of of throwing hundreds of millions of more dollars to the public school system at the same time that the ESA program is growing. But it's never enough for the public school people. I mean, we've, we've seen that. Well, and as we're, as we're, um, talking on this podcast today, the state legislature is considering a budget, and one of the amendments in the state Senate was to cap the dollars to the ESA program, I think, to something in the neighborhood of, I can't remember what it, I mean, but it's like to really cap it so that we wouldn't have more ESA students. And so that's what's laughable when they start to talk about, okay, you've got, why cap it? When you talk 2 to 3% of the overall budget, we've got 54,000 students in the program right now, and that's climbing. So even if it goes to 100,000 or however many students end up in the ESA, it's still going to be a small fraction of what the public school funding of the overall budget. That's true. And it's also worth considering here, if you look at Arizona actually is the state with the highest percentage of public charter schools of any state in the country. We have almost 20%, over 20% now of our public school students go to public charter schools. And it's the same thing. We've seen the left, we've seen teachers unions dump on them for years and, and essentially try to get them, you know, to vilify them, to oppose them. To We've seen during COVID, teachers unions tried to put caps on the number of kids who could go to charter schools because they, they don't have the same influence there. And so we have 20% of our kids who are in charter schools. Those have been wildly successful. And the, the idea that somehow they have, again, kept Arizona or held us back is, is nonsense, right? Parents have said, we really want to go to these. We have great, you know, networks, the basis schools, the great heart schools, all these very high performing nationally ranked schools uh, that have done f- phenomenally under the the ability to, to launch charter schools. And so the same argument now that the unions are essentially saying, well, we should, we should stop this other uh, initiative over here of ESAs because we might have too many families opt into it and decide that it serves their kids better than what we're offering them somewhere else. Instead, they decide to push um, leftist policies in the public schools. I mean, you've done a lot of work on critical race theory and and lack of academic transparency, instead of the response being to improve the public schools to be to meet parents and what they're looking for in education for their children, instead they continue to go in a leftist direction. Well, another argument that we're hearing is that, well, ESAs are only going to rich kids, that basically we're only seeing um, the students in the wealthier areas of Arizona are the ones that are using ESAs, and so this really isn't helping low income or, or it's not really... Um, it's just the, school, the students are already there. The parents are already paying for their tuition. Thoughts about that? How how we respond to that argument? Yeah, we've we've been hearing that argument for years too. Um, and you know, we actually put out a report even before the universal expansion, and and you know, showed look, this is this program is being used 
uh, in rural, in urban, in, in low-income areas across the state. You know, we profiled the San Carlos Unified School District that had the highest percentage of, of students participating, had, you know, uh, over 100 kids in just this small district uh, participating in the ESA program. And this is an incredibly low-income area with a huge, you know, child poverty rates, uh, more urban areas such as the Roosevelt Elementary School District in Arizona, which had the highest percentage of DNF-rated public schools. Again, lots of kids who were using that program and had access to it. So uh, again, we, 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 they try to sort of split kids and say, these students deserve uh, access to this program, these students don't. And, and again, one of the things that they don't like to acknowledge is it doesn't matter what your income is. You can be incredibly wealthy or incredibly you know, disadvantaged economically, and you can walk into a public school and receive full funding. And yet they're gonna argue that only certain families deserve to have the opportunity to exit the public school system and pursue an education somewhere else. So again, this, this argument is, is again absurd. It's not about the, a principled opposition uh, any more than it is just them saying, we wanna basically try and sandbag this program and say it's, it's serving kids that we don't think deserve help when any family can walk in and get help from a public school and they have no qualms about that unless they come to us and start advocating for means testing public schools, right? This isn't an argument that's a serious one. Well, and there's no question that ESAs will enable schools to be started in, in communities throughout this state that have not been able to do so. And so that's where I think we're going to see really innovative schools getting started and more families um, being able to use ESAs for that purpose. Another uh, you know, opposition argument that we will hear is that um, ESAs are wasting taxpayer dollars, that they're being spent on frivolous items that especially those that are maybe educating at home, at home learning, that they're, uh, that it's basically wasteful, that they're spending money on things that they shouldn't be spending money on. But there's accountability in the program on that. Those expenses have to be approved, correct? That's right. The, the ESA program is is actually fairly, uh, you know, restrictive insofar as there are certain categories that the families agree to spend the money on, right? Again, it's things like tuition, curriculum, textbooks. There's, there's certain categories of expenditures and when they make it it either has to be essentially approved in advance or they have to essentially submit a, a, a receipt saying here's everything i bought with this program and so again this has been a talking point from the other side for years as well trying to say this is you know full of fraud and it's terrible and the auditor general had you know uh, several years ago looked into it and said we found instances of spending you know it uh, at merchants that, that wasn't supposed to take place they came back the next year and said uh you know what these these cases here have been resolved the the spending is his uh you know they looked at thousands and thousands of transactions and essentially found, you know, like $30 of, of misspending at, an, at a merchant that wasn't supposed to be there. And so there has been confusion, right? We've had parents who have made expenditure, made purchases on things that ultimately were deemed to not have been uh, an allowable expense. The Auditor General also came out and found that parents, when they were calling ADE over the last few years, the Department of Education, that about in up to a quarter of the calls that parents were, were submitting to uh, making to the department, that they were getting low quality or, or misleading information. So you had parents reaching out saying, hey, I'd like to use my ESA funds for this or that, or may I get in conflicting advice from the department? So you've had parents over the years who have struggled to, to understand you know, some of the rules there, not out of fault of their own. And so I think absolutely with a program like this that is growing, you're still gonna have you know, an effort for everybody to, to, to get on board and understand what it is that can be spent. But if you compare this program to others, you know, food stamps or, or uh, free and reduced price lunch or any of these issues for, for you know, public programs, the, the rates of misspending are, are far above anything you see in the ESA program. Well, and they certainly, when they talk about alleged fraud in the ESA program, they certainly don't talk about fraud in the public schools. That's right. You know, yeah, we, you know, we <laughs> saw the, the superintendent out in Buckeye recently make headlines for, for you know, exorbitant compensation there. You've seen uh, all sorts of misspending of, of COVID funds. Uh, and, and so, uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, again, not, uh, 
not something that I think is based on an actual concern so much as it is an attempt to score political points. Well, and haven't you also pointed out that um, the state continues to enjoy a huge budget surplus, multi-million dollar surplus, at the same time that ESAs are growing? You've, you've written about that, I think, as well. Right. Yeah. The, the, the state, you know, the, the lawmakers are, are usually pretty careful in terms of trying to, to budget forward. And, uh, you know, we actually saw a lot of the folks on the left who were complaining when Governor Ducey and, and the conservatives uh, were adding money to the state's rainy day fund over the last few years. They were putting money aside to say, we're always going to have this this kind of backstep here. And, and the people on the left were complaining about it. And now that the, they've, they've built up this this cushion there. They're providing opportunities for kids in the ESA program. They're growing the budget and they're investing in public schools all at the same time. They're still coming up with this, this claim that somehow we're, we're not able to, to, to fund these things. And so, uh, yeah, you know, again, we, we pointed out that at the same time, this first year that the ESA program has really taken off with the universal expansion, that the budget, again, over a billion dollars of extra unbudgeted funding that, that came in from strong revenues that, that the state was able to deploy and putting a lot of that again toward public schools now. Well, and... I think it's also important to just point out for the listeners that the votes that are happening even in the current budget debate on whether it's to cap the number of ESAs, to cap the dollars, to cap to require fingerprinting, that those are all party-line votes. And even though Goldwater and Cap are nonpartisan organizations, but it, it really is in our state, it's the Republicans voting for parents, for school choice, for education freedom, for ESAs, and it's the Democrats all voting against. And I just think that's important for, for listeners to know that who's looking out for the interest of parents. And on the, one of the amendments in one of the bills that's been introduced is to require fingerprinting of um, employees in schools that have kids on ESAs. Well, my, my assumption and my information is that most private schools are going to be fingerprinting who needs to be fingerprinted and checking their personnel anyway. So isn't that a way to just, they just want to over-regulate private schools because of how much they dislike school choice? They do. And a couple of points there. You're right. You know, unfortunately, the left has really become captured by the teachers unions. And and so, you know, the teachers unions, again, look at this. We saw it during COVID opposing charter schools, opposing private schools, opposing any kind of educational freedom outside of it. They want to do whatever they can. They are, you know, huge donors. They have a huge influence. And so they have, unfortunately, really, really taken the left and, and kind of held it hostage to oppose these sorts of programs. Uh, and I think that what we've seen is, yes, efforts when they say, oh, we're just here to, you know, provide some some great new uh, idea for how to improve the ESA program. The statute is very clear, right, that says the ESA program is not intended to have the government come in and change the operations of private schools or families at home, right? It's not, it doesn't give them the power. It explicitly says in statute, you do not have the power to come force, you know, families or schools to change their curriculum, their creed. Uh, this does not give you license to go regulate uh, these, these institutions or these families. And so the left is basically trying to hollow out those protections, right? They want to say, we're just going to chip away at this so that we can basically over time transform you into what we think is going to be another, uh, you know, public school uh, type of environment. And so those things, you know, Governor Hobbs attended a private school, right? And, and the idea that, uh, you know, somehow those private schools were terrible and dangerous and all these things and 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 bad when, when she and others have, have been there, uh, but that they're going to be rescued by a bunch of regulatory burdens that, that, that they're adding to, you know, ensure, uh, you know, supposed compliance, but really trying to just undermine the protections for the program. Again, I, I don't think it's done in good faith. I think it's clearly done with a political aim to to hinder the program. Well, and throughout our, what, 25 or 30 years of really trying to promote school choice and, and different programs in Arizona, Center for Arizona Policy has been very involved in that language that says any school choice program cannot force the school to change its creed, curriculum, or practices. Uh, and we know if that were to happen, then those schools are on their way to being government schools. Well, to start to wrap up, Let's get back to the, the main point that I think listeners need to, 
just really have um, down pat is what's the best, briefest, and clearest way to counter the false claim that ESAs are bankrupting the state? I would say ESAs save the state money. They cost half as much per student, and they are a tiny fraction of the billions of dollars that get spent every year on public schools. Excellent. So, Matt, for, you've mentioned several reports. You're, uh, we appreciate all the, the in-depth research work that Goldwater does and that you lead. So what's the website? How do listeners um, access um, the different reports that you're writing and keep up to date on, on what you're doing at Goldwater? Sure. So our website is goldwaterinstitute.org. Uh, you know, one of the, the reports I would recommend is one we put out uh, uh, refuting the new, even less convincing scare tactics against ESAs in Arizona. Kind of goes through point by point on a lot of these that, that you kind of brought up talking about the, the budget impacts, the ESA program, how it fits in with the, the larger public school issues. Uh, and so I definitely encourage folks to look at that and, uh, and to, um, you know, follow on, on social media and get more information. So goldwaterinstitute.org, the CAP website is azpolicy.org. We have information on ESAs as well. And to those listening, uh, you're going to hear these arguments over and over again, especially as we move into the election season and and as um, candidates start to um, campaign on school choice and education freedom. Remember, this is about parents. This is about parents being able to choose the education best meeting their children's needs. And I want to thank you, Matt Beinberg from Goldwater Institute, for joining us on Engage Arizona. Thanks a lot. Pleasure to be here. Thank you, Kathy. Thanks for listening to Engage Arizona. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like and subscribe and leave us a rating or review on your preferred podcast platform. Don't forget to share with family and friends. And if you would like to learn more, please visit our website at azpolicy.org.